This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today is August 23rd, recording from the studio. Uh, Sorry we missed the other week, uh, but we're back at it. Uh, In terms of today, we saw the market hop quite a bit. Uh, Stocks are around to start the week. NASDAQ closed at a record. Big mover was obviously the Pfizer's vaccine approval from the FDA. Saw the Dow Jones go up 0.61%. Saw the S and P five hundred point eight five percent. VIX dropped. VIX dropped a little over seven and a half. Uh, Treasuries down slightly, um, one point two five three percent on the ten year. Um, but yeah, I mean, and obviously, uh, Treasury yields were also a little bit mixed with uh, key Fed policy events in focus. Um, Grant, anything else to add? I think that the, as you mentioned, the FDA approval of the Pfizer vaccine is, is really big. There were a lot of companies and just general Americans who were waiting for that FDA, FDA approval before actually getting the vaccine. So we could see a, a big surge, surge of uh, shots in the arms, which could help rally uh, the market overall. Yeah. And even prior to this data, we have been seeing pretty big surges and shots in the arms. At least one dose now, a little over 61% of the country has at least one dose. Um, I think it's gone, not not to quote me, this is not off the top, this is off the top of my head, but I think 70% um, month over month. Uh, so yeah, I mean, some solid numbers coming out in vaccinations and a lot of it in states that have been lagging um, this previously, which is like Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, there's some of the biggest, biggest surges in vaccinations right now. And stocks that we have talked about associated with the pandemic that when it comes to an end would see a pop. So the Airbnbs, the lifts, airliners and, and cruise operators saw a bit of a pop today out of them. Um, in terms of unemployment, that news has been pretty, pretty solid. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that initial unemployment Claims and regular state programs totaled 375,000. That period was ending August 7th, uh, which, you know, was in line with with, what Bloomberg economists postulated. So we've seen, you know, strong, strong pickups. Um, And I mean, obviously, the big bear in the room right now is going to be a spreading COVID-19 Delta. But, you know, this was another solid jobs month um, to so far, you know, to, to keep up with, with what we saw in July when payrolls increased by 743,000. Well, the unemployment unemployment rate dropped to pandemic low of 5.4%, which is great. Uh, vacancies were still at a record high in, in, in June, pointing out there may be a mismatch between the labor supply and demand. Uh, overall, we could see that that has a big impact uh, on what the Fed does, because if the Fed sees that we we are at a, a lower unemployment, they could begin to start uh, with tightening policies. So less bond buybacks and, and maybe even start to increase the interest rates. Yeah. And we saw Fed Governor Waller um, really talked about how a reduction in bond purchases could be likely. October could be the starting month. They'd really have to see strong consecutive job reports in August and September. Um, that's a big thing. 
A lot of inflation has seemed to be transient, and we'll talk about some more indicators showing that. But Waller, you know, is a little bit cautious when it comes to what he's hearing from business contracts or saying they're able to pass prices through. Um, and firms have got, you know, pricing power for the first time in, in a long time. So uh, we could be seeing some inflation that's not as temporary in nature. Well, what he said is if if August, September, and even October job growth in the eight hundred thousand uh, range, then we could see some tightening. Right now, the Fed is still currently buying at least one hundred twenty billion of, of bonds each month, split between Treasuries and, and mortgage backed securities. The Fed did reduce purchases by about ten billion a month, but if we do see that increased job growth, uh, Waller believes that we will see that. That number, $120 billion number, really starts to decrease rapidly. Yeah. I mean, and we do have some, um, there, there is some uncertainty too, right? I mean, when you're looking at majority of businesses, right now, 66 say they can survive under current conditions for more than a year. When you're looking at how they view, you know, forward trajectory, uh, what the economy is and, and Delta uh, they, they, they give the score of 45 out of 100. I mean, pre-pandemic businesses were, you know, giving a 61. So that's pretty much unchanged from last quarter, uh, which is interesting that, you know, they remain as pessimistic. Uh, I would have figured they would have been a little bit more pessimistic, frankly, because, you know, a little over a month ago, it felt like, you know, uh, somewhat of a normal summer before we saw an explosion in Delta. And things starting to shut down again. In that same study, it is interesting how how the sectors are different, obviously, because COVID has hit different sectors a lot harder than others, especially in the hospitality and leisure. So small business owner of art, entertainment, or recreation industry uh, were at 48% thought that they could survive another year given, which was the lowest of any industry, which is pretty significant because that is a, a huge sector. Overall, uh, one big advantage that we have now versus when we first went into the pandemic is a lot of smaller businesses have figured out how to work in these environments with with masks and cleaning procedures. And I don't think that cities or states will be going into a full scale lockdown again. So people will still be able to get their haircut. Restaurants will still be able to do takeout instead of this full blown lockout that really put the economy to a screeching halt will not happen. Also, we, as we mentioned at the start of the podcast, vaccinations are, are higher. More than two thirds of adults in the United States have received at least one dose of the COVID vaccine. So that, that should, uh, I don't want to say help, but that, that will, uh, People will, will will think about that before they shut down their entire business. Yeah, and and for the most part, consumers seem to be kind of acting as they have been normally. Uh, you had seventy six percent say they've eaten indoors at a restaurant. Uh, about three quarters have visited a doctor's or dentist's office. Um, so there's certainly moves to you know, pre pandemic life in that regard. Um, but I mean, but yeah, I, I just I do think. At the end of the day, we we are better better equipped. We might see instances where, like New York City, um, could soon mandate that, or, or it looks like it will, that people going to restaurants, bars, and and other businesses will have to show proof of vaccination. I think we can see a lot of that in the meantime. That might slow 
slow overall consumption down, but I think at the <clears throat> on the flip side, you might be seeing more people getting vaccines as as a result because they've gotten accustomed to somewhat normal life again. Right, and 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 now that it has the FDA approval, we could the Pentagon now is is making its employees get the shot. I'm sure there will be a lot to follow, especially the the state run or or federal run agencies. One sector that has had its ebbs and flows with the COVID pandemic is oil. So we saw oil prices begin to slide on Monday, really tied down to the slowdown as the world reinstates lockdown measures. Um, Also, that's right after we saw OPEC and its allies have a production boost. So demand going down, supply going up could cause the, the price of oil to slide after we saw the price, at least in the United States, go up. Uh, at the pumps following the, the pipeline hack earlier this year. Yeah, there's definitely macro factors affecting that too. Chinese economic data was not as strong. You're looking at their export growth that slowed in July. Uh, their imports rose 28.1% from a year earlier, but forecasts, you know, we're calling for a 33% increase. So, you know, slowing down the you know, the economy of China is, is obviously a big dent in, in crude prices as well. Um, Second largest oil consumer, you know, they were last couple months, four straight months with below 10 million in, in barrels per day. So that's a pretty big number. Right. And, and across emerging Asia, you're, you're really seeing rising coronavirus um, figures. So who's not to say, you know, it's I mean, what you've seen in India and, and Vietnam and a lot of emerging markets with very young populations um, could be seen some deflationary constraints and, 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 you know, less appetite for consumption. So um, that'll drive down the price of oil. Uh, This has been widely discussed um, by a lot of people, but not our podcast, which is just how important that uh, used cars were in, in terms of some of these temporary inflation numbers we've seen. Um, I mean, consumer prices rose 5.4% in June, for example, when we're carrying, comparing it to a year earlier. As we mentioned, that was the fastest since 2008. But cars, I mean, there was a 30% increase, you know, in used cars prices between April and June. And you know, a lot of that has just been the fact that, um, you know, semiconductor supply lines have been really, really uh, affected. And you need the chips in a lot of, you know, new cars, uh, you know, electronic makes. So as a result, you've saw a lot of people buying, um, you know, used cars and, and similar stuff when we're looking at things like furniture and that kind of thing. They're not everyday purchases, but a lot of those big ticket items, uh, you know, have seen the surge in, in, in the used markets. We've, and it makes sense when you think about it, right? So a lack of new vehicles. So then people who are looking cars then have to go to the used market. And also with, with a lack of new cars, that's just going to drive the price up because there's there's less supply overall um, and a leading spike to demand. What we also did see, which is a big play, big play, player, is that people didn't buy those new cars because they didn't want to have to sell and, and then buy a new car on the flip side because there was such little demand. So existing owners have held on to their cars longer than they would pre-pandemic, which is also causing a disruption. Uh, this kind of inflation also has been um, 
watched by the Fed. So this also is, is another indicator that they're looking at to unwind the ultra loose monetary policy that we talked about earlier with the bond buyings uh, and even could see rate hikes in 2023. Big thing to look at is obviously uh, debt ceiling. Um, right now, we have had pretty much every Republican but four senators sign a pledge. They would not vote for debt ceiling increase, uh, which allows for the paying down of debt uh, and spending. Uh, it's interesting, obviously, Democrats could put it through reconciliation, but that would just really kind of hamstring their efforts to pass these two major um, bills. Uh, well, I mean, the infrastructure bill will pass through regular means, but the $3.5 trillion, as stated, um, investments is going to go through reconciliation. So they'd have to seriously consider tagging on the debt ceiling vote as part of that package, which might just make things more complicated. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it would. It's really a game of cat and mouse right now is what we're seeing. Uh, the Biden administration isn't saying that the Republicans are, are going to let us default on our debts. And the Republicans are saying, well, if you have responsible spending, then you shouldn't have an issue with that. So it's, it seems like it's a cat and mask game right now. Yeah. And then both parties putting themselves as virtue signaling in terms of responsible spending, which uh, we haven't seen that in a couple of administrations. So yeah, it's just one of those things. Uh, it really does derail any normal legislative progress, uh, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, when it when there was... And it is a bipartisan thing, right? I mean, the yeah. debt ceiling is is the country's debt ceiling. And so when it happened with President Trump, we saw that the Democrats raised it, I thought it was two or three times. Yeah. You know, in the Obama, people came to the table and, and did it because the last thing that anyone wants is the United States to default on their loans. And we saw a downgrade when it wasn't passed this we last did. time. So that's... Uh, we, we don't want to go through that again. So hopefully whatever needs to get fixed out gets fixed out. And so for our last topic here, Drew, there was a new theory that was going for today trading uh, in The Economist, really talking about how we have inelastic markets based on <clears throat> being not being able to trade based on fundamentals. We saw that this year with your favorite, the GameStop, the AMC, the Wall Street Bet Boys, Cryptocurrency is another one where fundamentals really aren't working. Uh, and there was a study done that shows that if you're able to front run these, even though it's not front running, could be very profitable. Um, so if you're able to, to know where these big moves are going to come, not based on fundamentals, could be a better way to day trade. Uh, what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, you're looking really at the issues of flow, right? So got a higher share voted equities, larger the flow. Um, so obviously always a, a buyer and seller on, on either ends. Uh, but I mean, yeah, it, it, it's interesting when we're trying to look at how elastic and how inelastic things are. Uh, this research is coming out of two economists, one from Harvard, one from the University of Chicago. Um, you know, it's really that, you know, in, in terms of, what happens is that, um, you know, they're, they're calling it an inelastic market hypothesis. So, 
Yeah, really what it's looking at is it's saying that <clears throat> you should be trading based on all fundamentals, not on where the flows are going. So if a hedge fund, even though it's only 4% of the market, makes a big bet, people may be hurting and, and not looking at the fundamentals and jumping onto that trade, therefore driving the price. So they add what they're calling this inelastic markets um, that that flows have a just as much of an impact on the price than the fundamentals and that makes sense you know one of the things that that they said in inelastic markets is a firm that issues debt to buy back its stocks will find that it drives up both its own share price and the broader market which i thought is interesting because you're you're always thinking about financing yourself with either equity or debt as a company um, and they thought it would also that inelastic was shown as how the central bank are using quantitative easing policies where they're buying bonds that's going to affect the overall bond yields not just the bonds that they're trading um, based on the flows and the trades that are happening in the market not just pure fundamentals mm -hmm. yeah they, they certainly made you know the, the analogy to to the central banks buying of bonds um, is there anything we might have overlooked this week well, one thing that I'm keeping an eye on is we did see um, ARK Innovation Fund is now being shorted. Uh, we have seen Kathy Wood, uh, one of the hottest fund managers. They're starting to make T-shirts about her. It seems like she's a she's a growing trend. Um, her fund is down 7% this year. Michael Burry, the big short fame, uh, has a lot of put options on them, looking to profit off, off the short there. So that's one thing. Uh, one other thing is we are seeing China continue their corporate crackdown um, on a lot of IPOs. Um, so the country had 40, halted 42 planned listing to investigate um, different law firms and an investment bank that have been linked to the deals. So uh, going public in, in China, they, they are really beginning to, uh, to crack down on business there. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'll be looking at is uh, Elon Musk, guess he has a tendency to do through cold water on the release of his own company's experimental driving software, the FSD beta 9.2. Uh, he said it was actually not great on Twitter. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's just always fun to see what happens, you know, with Tesla stock after Elon makes a comment like that. Buy your, buy your options now. Which yeah. <laughs> straddle. <laughs> um, yeah, to the moon. Um, yeah, with that, everybody, hope you have a great rest of the week. Thanks for tuning in, thanks for subscribing, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host, and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.